0: Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview
1: newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson.
0: Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm interviewing Gabriella Lester. Now, Gabriella is another magician. I interviewed one a few weeks ago. Uh, I interviewed somebody that was on Penn & Teller Fool Us. A couple months ago, I was you know, searching YouTube videos and just mesmerized by the magic that is Penn & Teller Fool Us. Uh, of course, it's a TV show here in America. Penn & Teller are huge magicians uh, that's been around for 40-plus years. Magicians come on. They try to to uh, give a trick and Penn and Teller see if they know how the trick goes. And if they don't, uh, then the magician has fooled them and they get a prize. Both the people I have had on uh, did not fool them. Uh, you'll realize if you watch the show that the fooling doesn't happen very often when you've been a, a magician for 40-plus years. Uh, but Gabriella was another person that I had reached out to. Her story is a little different. Uh, the last person, uh, Magical Katrina, she'd been in magic for 10 Plus years, she had you know some some different kind of training. Great, great interview there. Urge you to check that out. But Gabriella, um, she's pretty awesome when it comes to just being who she is in magic at such a young age. When I talked to her a few months ago, she was nineteen. Uh, she's nineteen or twenty now. Still a very young person in the performing world. Uh, born in South Africa, lives in Canada now. Tours all over the place. Uh, she's been everywhere. From the Magic Castle, she's been in LA. She's just she's been a lot of places. Of course, she's been in in uh, in Las Vegas for for the TV show, otherwise uh, mentioned. So she's accomplished so much in her young career. She has so much more to accomplish. In this interview, we talk about how she's accomplished a lot of the goals that she had set for the next ten years. So she has to make new goals. So that's where she is in her career. And that's a pretty darn good place to be. So. This is an up-and-coming magician. We're going to talk about just how she's been a performer darn near since birth, how she feels most confident on stage and everything else in life is just waiting to get back on stage and perform. We're going to talk about how she was able to get on the TV show to begin with, what that Process was like for her. What the experience of being on a, you know, a network TV show was. What it was like meeting Penn and Teller, which are some legendary magicians. Uh, what the future holds for. Of course, she's already accomplished so much. She's already done a lot of her goals. So, what are these new goals for? We're gonna talk about all this. Uh, whether you're into magic or whether you're just into a great story, Gabriella is an amazing person. You're really gonna enjoy this one. Here is Gabriella Lester. I'm here today with Gabriella Lester. Miss Lester, how are you?
1: I'm wonderful. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. If you would, just introduce yourself.
1: Yeah. Hi, um, I'm Gabriella. I'm a magician and I'm super stoked to be here.
0: Good. We're super stoked to have you for sure. I want to kind of start in the beginning and that is the, the early passion for magic. Uh, what did, I guess, what started that passion and do you remember what your first trick was?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I always had a lot of little moments as a kid growing up with magic, a lot of different things that kind of made me fall in love with it and lead me towards doing it. Biggest moment for me would be seeing a magician named Sean Farquhar when I was around 10 and seeing his show and kind of our interaction there is kind of what sparked my passion and lead me to pursue it.
0: Mm, I like that. So you said you had a, a interaction. What was that? Did you just go to the show and then meet them afterwards or what kind of interaction did you have?
1: Yeah. So he came to my middle school at the time to do a show. And, you know, I don't even remember much of the show. But afterwards, I went to get an autograph. Sure. And he took the sharpie and put it up his nose and pulled it out of his mouth. And that I guess one moment for my 10 year old brain really set me off. Um, and so I spent the next few years kind of researching his work and following his career. And it's really what drove me to pursue magic. And uh, he's my mentor now. So it kind of came full circle.
0: Well, that's really cool though, that you you're able to kind of you, that w- what created your passion. You've been able to kind of get a, get as your mentor. I love that for sure. Yeah. I want to ask you now, kind of just jumping very quickly, and that is how you went from you know learning this magic, maybe showing your friends and showing your family and getting excited about that, to mm-hmm. taking it on stage. And the reason I want to ask you that is because. We're going to talk a little bit later about your experience on foolish but you did mention on there that you you kind of were on stage and you were performing, whether it's magic or something else, since you can walk. So that's yeah. that's not what a lot, a lot of people are, are terrified of that. So it just came naturally to you. And did you do something else before magic that got you on stage?
1: Um, I mean, I had tons of passions growing up, but they were all kind of centered around performing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of the industry in some regard that I always wanted to go into. Mm -hmm. But even now, I still have like terrible stage fright nerves before performing, but I still love it more than anything else. I think for me, really, it was mostly the people around me. Like magic was just this thing that I found and was absolutely in love with. And all I wanted to do was do it, not necessarily pursue it, but I just wanted to do it all the time and uh, the people in my family and the community kind of saw that passion and all kind of helped push me towards doing a show and getting in front of people and doing this and it's just been this chain reaction and all probably because of the support of people. All I do is love it. So
0: I love that. And I don't normally dwell on people's ages but you're relatively young, right? And you're in the in your career.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm 19.
0: Yeah, so that's that's really awesome. I I want to I guess I'm just thinking when it comes to the stage having stage fright one how do you overcome you overcome that cuz I mean it certainly doesn't look like you're you're frightened when you're up there and two just I it, there's just that added layer I mean I give presentations in front of people and you know have auditoriums and stuff like that but I know exactly what I'm going to say and rarely does something go wrong. But with magic, you have so many extra layers that not only do you have to get up there and entertain people, but you got to make sure everything's going to go right. So I don't envy that. That's, I guess that's what I'll say.
1: Yeah, I mean, I love it. And for me, there's no better feeling than being in front of a group of people. Whether For me, it's like I'll be nervous performing for my friends or two people in the same mm-hmm. regard that I would. 2000 people I just I love it and I want to do well and it's this thing that's really important to me And you know people always say nerves are a good thing because it means you care but the further I get in my career now I'm starting to have like anxious excitement nerves where it's like I want to do well but my nerves aren't going to override me like it's one of those things where you see it as a challenge and you have the nerves but you're like you still got to push through and not let the nerves overweigh the enjoyment and excitement of getting to do what you love
0: Again on the show, you said something I thought was really interesting. Just which makes it even more interesting that you have, you know, some stage fright is because you Mm -hmm. mentioned that you you feel most at home on stage, and the rest of your your life is just waiting to get back on stage. So, yeah, do you you just enjoy the adrenaline of being a little bit scared if that's where you feel most at home?
1: Yeah, I mean, adrenaline has always really played a big role in my life, and I I do kind of get that feeling on stage, but. I'm at a point now where when I'm on stage, I'm kind of just more of myself. Like I am who I am, but just a bigger version. And it's really hard to do that in like day to day life. Like you are who you are and you have your personality and your interactions with people. But when you go out on stage, you really just got to like live in the best parts of yourself and you got to tell stories and talk about things that you're passionate about and you got to bring joy to people. And as much as I can be myself and do things that I enjoy when I'm on stage, I got to be a much bigger version of that, which I really, really love. Which is scary because none of us really know who we are sometimes, but it all kind of works out.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting point too, just because you're early enough in your career that I feel like I can can ask you this because you're not so set in your ways yet. But how do you think that as you progress and you get bigger and bigger, that you're going to be able to, I guess, balance that because you do have to become a, a larger than life person to entertain a, an audience? The reason I ask you that is. You know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people that are, you know, at the end of their career, people that were, mm-hmm. you know, game show hosts for 40 years or people who have, you know, had a, a Las Vegas show for 30 years. And the thing that they talk about that I had never even thought about is you get so used to being kind of that larger than life person that really works on stage or really works on TV that yeah. that the kind of person you have to turn into when you're not on the stage People don't really like you very well because you're you can't you can't stop, you know, kind of that gregariousness. Yeah. So how do, how do you think you're going to be able to balance that?
1: I mean, it's for me in my life. I try really hard to have that kind of balance, whereas if I'm having that flashing light stage kind of life when I come home, it's just in somewhat kind of opposite like uh, I've got a big passion for motorsports, really. Mm-hmm. So when I'm away and I'm doing shows, I'm really in that world and I love it all the time. And it's always got a big part of me, but I'm also able to put it away, which I think is one of my favorite things is when I come home, I can go out and into the bush and ride my bike or just be in my element and kind of not have it overwhelmed, be every part of my life. Um, like I, I do my best to keep my passion as a passion and do it because I love it not do it because I have to pay the bills or I have to become successful it's just do it out of mere love and passion and when I'm not in that world I can enjoy other things i guess but
0: no I think that's that's big and I like that you're already kind of thinking about that and and putting it in perspective so you do uh you 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 keep that balance for for the long term you mentioned yeah. you like to ride your motorcycles into the bush i know that you 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 talked about kind of being are you from canada and from south africa where where exactly is is home i don't feel like there's a lot of canadian bush yeah
1: fair enough i guess that's more of a south african term um i was born there but i mostly grew up in canada so uh, british columbia is home
0: i gotcha so you are going out into the canadian bush
1: yeah yeah we'll see if you can call it that here i guess i got trees
0: i gotcha i gotcha it's behind you as well. Your your kind of your, your name, your moniker is the Diva of Deception. How did that come out about? That's a cool name.
1: Oh, Bad Luck. Probably.
0: Bad Luck.
1: It was actually in the midst of like a really busy show week where there was just no sleep going on. And I was taking one like heavy power nap and I woke up with the idea and I'm like, that would be great. And I wrote it down and I sent it to somebody and they put it on a poster and it's stuck after that where it's like, and now anytime I do anything, people want to use the little thing. Cause it's a good slogan, I guess I'm not the hugest fan, but it, it works.
0: Yeah. When I said it, you kind of covered it up. Why don't you like it? I thought it was, <laughs> it was cool, but obviously I don't hear it every day either. So
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it works just for me. It's I don't know such a <laughs> title.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, do you feel like you need to like, live up to it or i don't know i I guess i'm just i am a little bit surprised that you that you dislike it but i mean
1: mean, it sounds kind of cool but i I don't know i'm just this whole world is sometimes really new and unique to me because i still feel like i'm a kid who's just doing car tricks and doing magic and when this whole thing happens and i see my name places and people talking about me it's still i mean i'm a teenager it still takes me by surprise all the time so i guess i don't really know how to respond to it
0: I I feel you. I I like that though. That kind of brings some humility to all of it. So, so that, that makes sense. So I'm, I am not, I will promise you, I am not going to put the Diva of Deception in the title of this just because you don't like it.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yeah.
0: So I want to now ask you, um, because I, like I, I mentioned to you before we started, I I had someone on before who was on Fool Us. She she was a, a magician, which I'm surprised I can say magician because every magician I've had on, I start saying musician. I can't say magician very well. I'm doing a pretty good job with it. Uh, She was a magician that uh, probably has about, I don't know, 10 or 15 years on you in the, in the industry. But she Mm -hmm. talked about when she first started, there were very few women in the industry that she didn't feel like she had, you know, women to look up to. So she looked up to, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously a lot of men in, in the industry You're, you're from a little bit later. Did you have those role models? And if you did talk a little bit about that, but then also just Mm -hmm. to make this question a million, a million sentences long, talk about some (laughs) of the the role models that you did have, whether they're male or female.
1: Yeah. Oh God. I mean, I definitely did grow up in a bit of a different time. Historically, there were a lot of females in Magic. And even now, I mean, I wouldn't say female magician. I hate the term. I think there's a bunch of amazing performers who just happen to be women. And I kind of grew up in that. Yeah. Um, it does still seem to be a small demographic, but it's just like anything else. There's more men in some things and more women in others. I definitely had a lot of role, role models growing up. My biggest would probably be Sean, or, or my mentor. He's still yeah. like... I still, when I get a call from him now, I'm like, oh my God, he's calling and I see him every day. So it's still a little giddy part of my heart because I really, really look up to him uh, in many aspects. Uh, In the other performer world, uh, there's a magician named Johnny Thompson and then also probably Eugene Berger, who are just not super known public names, but made a big difference in what I watched growing up. Um, And someone told me this thing once, I don't remember who was little, but it's about like looking up to yourself which sounds kind of cheesy but like chasing who you want to be in the future because mm-hmm. you can be want to be the next Selena Gomez or Taylor Swift but you know you're the only version of you and the only uniqueness of you that exists so i try really hard to kind of chase the person that i'm going to be in 20 30 years from now if that's something to look up to
0: no i think it is for sure and yeah i'm i like i mentioned earlier i don't like really to dwell on people's age, because if you're doing cool things, it doesn't matter how old you are. I hate that. That's a story. And also gender. That's, that's another thing, but it is, it it is a big thing that, and that's why I kind of phrase it the way I did that people need people that look like them, whether it's male, female, whether it's black, white, or anything else that looks like them to look up to and to realize, Hey, I can, I can do this. It's something that I, you know, is possible for me. So that's why I think it's important to have that representation. So Mm -hmm. what would you, you know, somebody comes up to you, you're, uh, you know, you're there, Sean, is it Farquad? Farquhar. Okay. You're, you're there, Sean. Um, What, what, uh, and you know, a little girl or a little boy, what would you, what would you say to them as far as, as getting into the industry?
1: Just do it all the time, everywhere you can. Like, it's just, you know, you're not going to do it if you don't have it with you for me, I was growing up, I had a deck of cards in one hand and would eat in the other hand. Like it's just the more you have it with you, the more you're gonna do it. The more people are just once you're in that world, it kind of keeps going. So just pursue it and people aren't gonna like it always, but just love it and kind of leave it at that. For me, now that's the coolest thing is like you have a little 10-year-old come up to you after state after you've been on stage and tell you, Oh my god, I-, I didn't know women could do magic or this and things like that. And that that's really special to me in my heart because you know, those interactions after the show is what started me. So having that now, being my own performer is kind of I wouldn't say it's why I do it, but it's a big reason.
0: That has to be powerful for sure. And I want to move on to your time on Pin on and Tell of Foolish, which you didn't mention that they were your inspiration. So apparently this story isn't gonna be that, hey, I spent my whole life looking after them and I was finally on their show. So how did the booking happen?
1: Oh, oh God! No, it's definitely a, a bucket list thing. So many names I could put, um, yeah, but I made this. <laughs> I made this bucket list when I was maybe ten or eleven. When I started getting magic of all the things that I wanted to accomplish, I wanted to do a show in Vegas. I wanted to street perform. I wanted to have my own website. I wanted to have business cards, like some little and some bigger. And uh, they're like in my whole career as a magician were these things, these big goals. And the last thing that was left on the list at the time was going Penn and Teller because it's been around for about nine or 10 years now. So it was like the last little piece for me. So being able to do that was crazy. means I need new goals, but it was just uh, Sean played a big role in helping and filming and auditioning that. It's just we tried and it worked and they wanted me and then I did it. (laughs)
0: yeah so what does that look like do you send in like an audition tape with some of your your best tricks or or what's that look like
1: yeah so we developed the effect that i did on the show kind of for the show structured it as it would be something that kind of fit so it was also my first time doing the piece but it was we filmed the act kind of an explanation of what it was uh, because we didn't really have the ability to do the upside down straight jacket in the filming video so we kind of walked through what it would look like a bit of who i am Sent it over the, to the producers. They really liked it, and it was just kind of a piece by piece thing from there. Working with them, working with us, until it came to fruition.
0: Yeah, and and that's a kind of a good point that I hadn't at you know asked anyone before. You said you weren't didn't have the ability to do the upside down straight jacket ahead of time. Does the mm-hmm. show, I guess, kind of supply the props, or do you have to bring it all with you if you do uh, if you do make it on there?
1: Um, I, it depends like things like rigging or tables or stuff like that. They have a big warehouse with a lot of supplies there. Um, so they had the rigging stuff for the most part, cause I've done the escape before I have a lot of the equipment, so I brought it all, you know, just in case you guys, you know, needed. So I had like the ankle harnesses were mine and some of the other things, but everything else was there. So it ran really smoothly. They've got their crew and team and everyone that worked on that show was just phenomenal.
0: Yeah. So obviously not giving anything away, but tell us what, uh, you know, if somebody hadn't seen you on, on the show, what was, what was the trick? What, what did you do on the show?
1: Yeah. So it was based around an act that Penn and Teller did a bit earlier in their career, uh, called Casey at the bat, which was based around the poem and kind of what it was, it was 10, uh, sorry, Penn sat on the chair and read the poem. Um, the chair he was on was tied to a rope. The rope went up to the ceiling and Teller hung from the other end of the rope in a straight jacket, upside down. And when Penn was finished the poem, he would jump from the chair, releasing the rope and Teller would come crash down his head if he was still in a jacket. So it was a bit of a timed challenge thing. So it was based around that um, with being a little bit mean to Penn as I had flashcards. I had him pick a flashcard, lose it back in the deck, while I was put in the straight jacket, I went upside down. And then Allison, the host on the show, she'd go through the flashcards one at a time, each one he'd have to solve to get to the next. He was trying to get to his card before I got out of the jacket. So similar, but without the danger element to it. So it was it was fun. Good balance.
0: Yeah. And and I mean, he obviously joked about having to do math and wasn't, wasn't super pumped about it. But I mean... I just wonder, obviously there's a, there's a trick aspect to it, but did you have to make sure this guy can do multiplication that quick? I'd be worried. Like what if this guy is not, not into math at all. And now he's like, nah, I don't know how to do this.
1: Just would have been really, really funny. <laughs> okay. It would have had more time and he would have had to figure it out. So,
0: Yeah. I, I, well, that, that makes sense for sure. So being on the show, what uh, I guess, what was some of the, the surprises of, of it all? I know, I don't know whether you'd been on television before, but, you know, what we see and exactly how everything works and, and, you know, just being backstage and all that, there's a lot more to it. So was there anything that surprised you about the whole process?
1: Um, two moments. The first would be it was I remember the one moment where we were doing the tech rehearsal and I was walking out on stage and there's, you know, a point where you're like, oh, what are people going to call me? What's my name going to be? And Gabriela Lester, it's it's my real like full name. And I've always been like, oh, should I have something else? Should I do this or whatever? And when I wor- walked out on stage the first day we we're doing the dress rehearsal and they have a huge, it's a big stage. But I walked out there and on the big screens behind me, like the big pen & Teller screens, they had my name in like the pen & Teller font where it said Gabriela Lester. And it was the first time like, I guess, quotation seen my name in lights. And I saw that. And for me, that was like, one of those moments in my heart was like, yeah, you're doing the right thing. You're in the right place. And this is where you should be at. And that for me is a thing I think about like all the time, but just I kind of come back to in a feeling. And then the second would be is, I mean, there was no live audience when you were taping the show because it, they still had COVID regulations. So biggest surprise there would kind of be you're in a big, stage theater. You're super nervous. You're performing for two of your idols and it's dead silent. You hear nothing. Um, But they were super professional about it. And because Teller doesn't talk, Penn, I think he was very reactive and banterful and chatty, I think kind of filling that silence. What I assume in some regard was to help me there. So it made me feel a bit more comfortable and filled some of those dead gaps, which I guess no one really hears because you hear the laughter on TV.
0: I don't know this question. Did you Did you talk to both of them? Obviously, Teller was a Latin teacher beforehand. So we know that he can talk. Did you get to talk to both of them?
1: Uh, Not really that much at the time because of just how filming was working. It was really fast paced. Um, So just a little bit, but not a lot, really. It was next to next thing, next act. So
0: Right. No, that makes makes sense for sure.
1: Question I want to ask. This is
0: as close to, I guess, touchy questions as I'm going to ask. And that is... (laughs) The thing that fascinates me the most about the show and I, and I asked, you know, the other person and we kind of skirted it a little bit, which, you know, Mm -hmm. you can, you can answer it any way that you want. But the thing that fascinates me the most with the show is, you know, you guys have kind of your own language. They say something to you that just makes sense. And then you're like, yep, you understand my trick. Mm -hmm. Like, how do, how do people get good at that? Like, I I just, I, I guess I just don't understand does every magician just understand this this, you know these phrases that they they say? And I always try to figure out what I think that the phrases are yeah. that they say to people. pretty sure I, I, I think I know what they said to you, but I won't I won't necessarily say it unless uh, unless you want me to. Uh,
1: yeah, I mean, <laughs> I didn't at all, but yeah. I think others do. I was so nervous and in my head about that performance and being on that stage that it's like I finished the conversation with Allison and they're saying all these words and I'm just Uh sitting there like deadpan smile on my face I'm in Vegas on stage kind of thing and then they're like so did we get you and I'm like I'm sorry what (laughs) so it was they ended up just like there's a big conversation that I had with them there where they were just kind of I guess a little bit more straight up and stuff because I was just so nervous Uh in my head anxious being on that stage that for me I they needed to give me a little bit more because I just Mm. like, I'm sorry, you were guessing. (laughs) Um, So that one was probably a bit of an easy deliberation, which you could do without an audience there. But yeah, I think for other performers, the code works kind of make sense and stuff like that. And they did do a good job with me. I think I just was not present in my head.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess it's good that because I just figured that everyone just understands this secret code. So I like that. I like that. That isn't necessarily always the case. So I assume they just kind of cut out the parts that they were actually went down to the nitty gritty.
1: Yeah. 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 There's a good chunk there. That's not on air.
0: No, that, that makes sense for sure. You know, that that's obviously a really cool experience, a really cool time that you've been able to perform, but talk about maybe some of the other cool opportunities you've had because of magic.
1: Oh God, so many. Um, Feels like I've been doing it forever, but I guess I haven't been around that long. Um, The straitjacket escape itself has probably been a really big impact on my life. Um, My school, the reason I created it is my school had funded this organization called Move for Mana, which was kind of providing like food and awareness and funds for children in developing countries that had like severe acute malnutrition and it was this new organization and they're just bringing up more awareness. And uh, the lady that kind of helped run the program had asked me if I could do a piece of magic to kind of represent it. And I was I think, 14 at the time and I'm like, you know what, you know, these kids are trapped in their situation. Like is even if it sounds a little cheesy, but I wanted to do something big, like a more of a publicity stunt than a piece of magic. So I came up with the idea to do the straight jacket. This was like five some odd years ago now. And I'm writing to all these escape artists as like a 13, 14 year old, like, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this upside down. And I had to go to Vegas to get the jacket custom made because I couldn't find a place that had a jacket that was tiny enough. And learning to do all the rigging equipment and getting sponsors like that was something I kind of did. All on my own like it was the first thing I kind of really really worked on and getting the funding and getting the training and getting the rigors and getting everything for that to happen and I was able to do it it was the first time in my life I was able to perform for something that was bigger than myself like it wasn't just mm. a show and applause it had a bigger meaning and purpose behind it and uh, it kind of made me realize that I had the ability to take my career and do it for more than just the affection of an audience
0: mm. Yeah, that's, that's powerful for sure. And you talked about how you did this about five years ago. We we talked earlier about how you've been performing for a long, long time. You started in magic really early. What Mm -hmm. did you, what did your family think of all this? We, you know, we just talked about this trick that you did, that you were upside down. Of course, there's a trick to it, but there's things that could go wrong. Have they always been supportive of all of these different wild things you're doing? Are they just like, whoa, Gabrielle, slow down a little bit. Where where are they at with everything?
1: I mean, they're amazing, but it's probably a mix of both. I mean, like I said, I had a lot of passions growing up. So I think it was probably hard for them to be like, this is a serious thing that mm-hmm. she's going to go into. Um, but they've always just really wanted me to be happy. And I think that they've been able to recognize that magic and performing makes me happier than anything else. So they're both very like straightforward business people, I would say. So they don't understand the world at all, but they embrace it and they stand behind me and they fly out and come to see all my shows so I couldn't be more fortunate in that regard even if they think I'm probably a little crazy
0: <laughs> why well, everyone's a little crazy that's what makes us interesting i wouldn't wouldn't have a podcast if there wasn't a little bit of crazy out there so right I, yeah so tell us what what's your favorite kind of magic to to perform there's so many different things out there what's your favorite
1: uh probably comedic storytelling i guess anything where i can be able to just talk, I talk a lot, Um, but just really for me now, I'm finding that the magic means like the tricks itself mean a little bit less and kind of just who you are means more, I guess, where it's like I could be doing any trick in the world, but if I can go out there and share a story that's engaging or connect with somebody or make a moment, it makes a a difference. Um, I think the magic from escapes is a totally kind of different feeling because it feels like the escapes are a bit more of a stunt, but whereas when I'm doing magic, I love it a lot more. That's why I keep the escapes in their little box because it's this thing that I do, but it's not my whole world. So if that makes sense. I'm yeah. not sure. I just talk a lot.
0: No, I, I I like that. I like that for sure. And I want to. I guess I want to kind of ask you about this motorsports. We we already talked about motorsports earlier. How you you're out in the Canadian bush, but you you've done a little bit more than just joyriding out there. Talk about I guess that love for motorsports.
1: Yeah. I mean, that really came from my dad. Um, You know, he raced cars in South Africa. And so I kind of always grew up watching him being surrounded by cars and that, and it was kind of a thing that just sparked so I could have more connection with him and do things with him. Um, But when I got into the world, I really, really fell into it. And I've always been a bit of an adrenaline junkie and I'm always probably looking to learn something. And I think from, I'd say magic I wouldn't say it came easy, but because I've been doing it for so long and I love it so much, it's just this thing that I've always been do like I've always been doing. Like it's another goal, another goal, another goal. But motorsports was just this thing that I've only been in for the last few years, where it was just a challenge. I was so lost. Like I got a job at a motorsports uh, dealership just at the start of COVID mm-hmm. and worked throughout there. But when I started there, I was like, I couldn't tell you what an oil change. I couldn't tell you where the oil went. I had nothing. So for me, it was. This thing that I had an interest in, but I knew nothing about. Like I wasn't just the girl who's always been doing this or the girl who's going to pursue this. I was just this kid that knew nothing about bikes or engines or motorsports. And it became this challenge where I, I got to learn and I got to fall in love with something as I learn more about it, which is why I like it a lot as having it as like my break in life to go back to because it still confuses the hell out of me. I don't really know how to do it still, but I'm always figuring it out, which I like.
0: Hmm. So are you still, is that, was that just a COVID thing? Are you still working in motorsports?
1: No, I'm magic full-time now, but it was, it was just the two years of COVID that I was there. Yeah.
0: No, that that makes sense. I don't feel like the parents pay that well for you just to show them the same tricks over and over probably. Right.
1: Don't think so. No,
0: no, no, but that you, you talked about always trying to learn things and what kind of magician are you? Are you somebody who just constantly needs to learn new tricks and always trying new ones? Are you somebody that's like you know, I want to perfect this and, and get it perfect. And then I'll start looking at something else. Are you, wh- where are we at when it comes to magic with you?
1: Uh, I'm, I'm probably a mixture of both. I mean, I'm always working on stuff. I feel like it just, my brain never shuts off of having that creative mindset of working on the next thing and working on the next thing. Um, I've got a good set of probably my stronger material that I probably performed a couple hundred times. So mm. We'll do that and then maybe throw something into that mix and then maybe throw something new until those new things become more polished. So it's just this long scale of things where it's, for the most part, I'm performing stronger stuff while constantly working on the newer things until they're strong enough to work them into the show.
0: That makes mm. Yeah. And you talk about until they're strong enough. You know, I've talked to comedians, and of course, you just try a joke out. And if it doesn't work, yeah. okay, I'm not going to try that one again. When it comes to magic how do you know when it's time to put it in the show and that you're ready to I guess to to show it to people beyond beyond the home
1: I mean, You kind of got to just do it like it's a, for the most part with magic it's not always about the trick working like it's not just think of any card here's your card like that's not impressive but the presentation of it And you can't really figure that out in rehearsals. You kind of just got to put it in and do a hundred shows with it and figure it out. And you'll learn way more about what the effect looks like in performing it than you would rehearsing it. So you just got to take the bad shows with it and the bad performances. And you got to be okay with maybe sucking a little bit before you get better with it and learn how to navigate it because... The audience in one show could react a certain way and you see that reaction as being really good and you try and think of ways to re- recreate that moment new, but in the next one until you can kind of have it solidified for the next show and the next show.
0: And every time you keep talking about performing shows, you're, you keep saying them in the hundreds. How many shows do you perform a year?
1: Oh, God, I wish more. I perform every day if I could. Um, <laughs> It really just depends on the week or the venue. There's some venues that you can work, uh like I just did House of Cards in Nashville, and that was just under 30 shows in the one week. And you're doing some show days that are like six show days, but then you also have a week where you just have one show. So it's it's a bit of a mix. I'd do it every day if I could though.
0: Yeah. And what is that? I mean, there's you know, obviously again, talking about comedy, there's comedy places that people just tour. How do you find places to to do these shows?
1: Uh well, there's Kind of, I'd say the real world and the magic world where there's these magic venues that kind of exist as a circuit of like there's Chicago Magic Lounge and the Magic Castle in LA and then House of Cards, these venues that are like restaurants or places that are structured around magic. Mm. And in that world, when your name kind of gets into it, I guess they all, in retrospect, know each other, talk to each other and all these people that you look up to but can end up becoming your peers i guess which is that just thing now where it's just a conversation of hey i have this venue you'd love to work yeah of course i'll go work and then you do it um, whereas in the real world it's more of getting booked and putting your name out there so they're different but in the same regard the same where it's the more you do it the more people hear about you
0: easy is that what are some of the most interesting places you've you've had to perform magic on the the back of a moving van, where, what's, what's some of the coolest places? Well, not coolest. Let's say the most interesting, weirdest places.
1: Uh, like back rooms of bars and stuff when I was like probably 13 or 14. When you're just taking any gig you can, you like, variety show. Of course, I'll do that. You get off stage and there's like a burlesque dancer on next. And you're like, I don't think I'm meant to be here. Hmm. But you know, you still do it. I mean, I've, I've done it all of the kids parties, the corporate parties, everything all stories to tell you yeah. weird ones in there for sure.
0: Yeah. What uh, let, let's talk, since I already said it, what is the, maybe the coolest venue you you've done?
1: Um, I'd say the most special one to me is probably the castle magic castle in Los Angeles. That was just something I didn't think I'd accomplished for the next 10 years of my career. And I've done it a couple of times now. So being being able to call one of those like little rooms their home is probably a really, really cool feeling.
0: I, I love that. And I, I, I don't know much about magic, but I do, I have heard of the magic castle. I feel like that probably is kind of like the Grand Ole Opry of country music or the comedy store in in Los Angeles when it comes to magic, right. It's kind of where everyone wants to, wants to perform.
1: Yeah, it's it's the place to be. So,
0: yeah, yeah I, I love that. So I want to, you talked about how, you know, you thought it would be 10 years until you were there. So you're already achieving a lot of these dreams, you already talked about how you need to create a, a new list of dreams, but where do you hope that you are, you know, in five, 10 years, if, if we were talking, where, where's the, what do you hope the future holds in your career?
1: I mean, honestly, I, I'd say in some regard, I don't know, because I can set goals that are as high as the roof. And then, you know, hopefully I'll get there, maybe I won't, and then it's on to the next thing. I'm kind of in a place now where I'm making a list of 100 different things that I want to do, it's some goals that are seem like obtainable, which are kind of like, okay, I want to work this room, or I want to perform in New York, or I want to do this. And then some goals that are like, be the biggest performer in the world kind of thing. And you try and find the balance in between five, 10 years from now, I hope I love it as much or more than I do now. And that I'm performing every day. And I want to travel and I want to see the world. But honestly, I don't care about the size of the crowd. I just, I just want to do it. I want to make people happy with it.
0: If that's the goal, then you're, you're, you're going to be happy in your career for sure. When it comes to, to magic, I feel like, because this is definitely the, when I asked that question to the other ma- the magician, they said, well, what I don't want to do, what everyone wants to do is go, is have a show in Vegas. Are you somebody who would like that? I feel like that's the penultimate to a lot of magicians.
1: Uh, it's definitely not my biggest goal right now. Uh, I don't think, in some regards, I don't think Vegas is exactly what it used to be it was kind of the place to be in the goal to work towards to now, but you're just, it's not at the top of my list to be another Vegas performer at the moment, but yeah. it's, it's there.
0: Yeah, no, I think that, uh, I mean, to me, which obviously I'm not a performer at all, but I was just in Vegas, you know, I, I think like three weeks ago and there's literally like 7,000 shows you can see. And what right. you said, just to be another Vegas performer, I think it would be cooler, you know, to be in that small town, Jim mm-hmm. and be the performance of the day that everyone wants to go see I can I can see why that would be be appealing for sure
1: Yeah, that's always kind of been my main focus is if somebody doesn't know who you are when they buy tickets to your show they're not going to remember you after if they just buy tickets to a magic show and you're the performer they don't care but if they know who you are and they buy a ticket to see you they're going to walk away knowing your name and that has more value whether it's three people versus 300 people that have no idea who I am
0: yeah so people who do want to know more about who you are, where uh, where can they find you, whether it's your Instagram, whether it's your website. I don't know whether you have, I guess, reels anywhere where people can check out some of your work, but kind of shout out your uh, shout out your social media, if you would.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I'm at the Gabriella Lester because there's another Gabriella Lester who has all my other usernames. Uh, I'm the Gabriella Lester on most social media platforms, Gabriella Lester on YouTube. My website's gabrielleester.ca. Search my name up. Hopefully, you'll find me. If you find the actress, you can probably follow her too. She'd appreciate it. Yeah,
0: yeah that dot dot ca is what people need to remember. That's that's the that's the Canada part of things. Dot ca. Yeah. So yeah. I will put all of that in the show notes. But I mean, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I really, really appreciate your time.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. on. I'm glad we got to do this.
0: So that was Gabrielle Lester. Really enjoyed speaking with her. I appreciate her time. I uh, I think that she's really the next big thing. So, you know, we we got her early on this podcast. In ten, fifteen years, she's going to be headlining everywhere and and uh, just as big as Penn and Teller. So I look forward to uh, to her joining us again when uh, when she's she's a complete star. She's already doing some amazing things, but. Uh, I can't wait until the world just sees it. So excited about that. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. If you want to go check her out and uh, and follow along, all of her links will be in the show notes. She just gave them as well. Uh, she'd appreciate you following along. Do try to find her, not this actress. She was nice enough to say, hey, follow her too. She'd appreciate it. But Follow the right Gabrielle Lester uh... she's uh... she's doing amazing things great things to come i just know it uh... if this is your first time listening to this podcast appreciate you following along here great things to come too i i hope i uh... i certainly have some great uh... interviews coming up so follow along on not enough podcasts on instagram jackson not dot com not enough with jackson up on facebook lots of great places if you haven't already go follow go subscribe on apple and on spotify leave that five-star review on Apple and Spotify and on Apple. If you got time and you're willing and you're amazing, go leave a written review. Really appreciate that. But uh, if you do nothing else, catch us again next week. Another amazing guest. So take it away, Chris. This has been not in a huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think or hey. Maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.